Chapter Thirty Six of To London Town. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Lawley. So, with the days and the months, Nan's sorrows fell from her, and their harder shapes were lost in her remembrance, and the new days brought a new peace, perhaps even a new dullness. For this was a dull place, this street of flat walls and grime and anxious passengers. But what mattered mere dullness of externals when she had hard work to do and a son to take pride in? For Nora's sorrows, who shall speak? There was a hospital bed that she knew well, a pillow whereon a slatty face wasted and grew blank of meaning, and in the end there was a day of driving wet in a clayey cemetery, a day of loneliness and wonder and dull calm. But that day went with the others, and that year went. The streets grew sloppy with winter, dusty with summer, and smoky geraniums struggled into bloom on window sills and died off. Miles away, the forest gowned itself anew in green, in brown, and in white. And in green, the exile saw it once a year. All its dresses were spread for Bessie still, in her dreams. Two years were gone, and Johnny was within five months of twenty-one, and the end of his apprenticeship, when on a brave August day he walked in the forest alone. There would be no forest excursion for him next year, for then... With good fortune, he would be upon the seas. For the firm had promised him the recommendation that would give him a year's voyaging as fourth engineer. Bessie and Nora were sharing the holiday, but they were left to rest at Bob Smallpiece's cottage. Bob, vast, brown and leathery, was much as ever. He had seen Johnny and Bessie once each year, but not their mother, since, well, since he had gone to London to see his sister. He was not sure whether he should go to London again soon or not. Meantime, he made tea for his visitors. They had climbed the hill to Grandad's grave, and they found it green and neat. They had seen another fresh coast beside it, and wondered who was buried there. They had gathered flowers in Monk Wood, and they had stayed long in Lawton Camp. They had come again to the cottage on the glen side, and Johnny had had to stoop to the door to save his hat, for indeed he was within two inches as big as Bob Smallpiece himself, and now Johnny being alone, took the path to Wormleyton Pits. 
It was six years since he had gone that way last, and he might never go that way again. Mainly, his way lay as it had lain when he carried the basket of sloes. That night, when his grandfather had hunted his last moth, Johnny had left childish fantasies years behind him, and now the trees were trees merely one much as the rest, though green and cheerful in the sunlight. But even as on that night, his mind had run on London, the longed-for London that was his home now, and stale with familiarity. So now he turned over once more the mystery of the old man's cutting off, and with as little foreknowledge of the next chances in life's had for. Here branched the track by which he had made for Thaden. There was the tree under which he had last seen the old man's lantern light, and then the slate opened, glorious with heather. Brambles and bushes about the pits were changed. This grown higher and wider that withered off. And the pits, the smaller pits at least, seemed shallow enough holes under the eyes of a man of near six feet. The deepest pit, the pit, was farthest, and Johnny could see a man whose figure seemed vaguely familiar, sitting on its edge. He picked his way across the broken ground and came to the pit on the side opposite to the stranger. There was the hole where the old man had taken his death blow. Perhaps the bottom had risen an inch or so because of gravel washings. But the big stone in the middle was still plain to see. The man opposite was trimming wooden pegs with a pocket knife. He wore corduroys, of a cut that Johnny held in remembrance. Johnny watched for a few seconds, and then the man turned up a leathery brown face, and Johnny knew him. It was Amos Honeywell, notable as a poacher, and chief of a family of poachers. Amos put a peg into his pocket, and began on another. Well, Amos, called Johnny across the pit, you don't know me. The man looked up and stared. No, he said, I don't. Johnny gave him his name. What? answered Amos, putting away his peg unfinished. Johnny May? The boy who used to be along old old May, the butterfly man, as died in an accident in this ere very pit. Yes, if it was an accident. Oh, it was that all right enough. But why, you're twice as tall, and taunt so long neither. Amos paused, staring mightily at Johnny, and slapped his thigh. Why, he said, it's the curious thing in nature seeing you now, and here too. Did ye see her a funeral last Wednesday? No, where? Up to church, where your grandfather's buried. But no, he aren't living here about now, of course. Well, it is the rarest conglomeration ever I see. Me seeing you here at this ere very pit, and him buried only last Wednesday. 
and died in an accident too. Fell off a ricky did. And who was he? Cooper chap he was. Nemo Styles. Lived here about six year. But course you wouldn't know about him. Twere he as did the accident. Did the accident? What do you mean? Amos Honeywell got up from his seat and jerked his thumb toward the pit bottom. This here one, he said. Your grandfather. Do you mean he killed him? Don't much matter what you call it now. The chap's dead. But I wouldn't put it killed. Not meaning. Amos Honeywell came slouching along the pit edge, talking as he came. See, he was a Cooper cell chap. I knew here, and knowed few. Well, he sees this here's a likely spot for a rabbit or so, and he puts up a few pegs and a wire or two, just after dark. You know. In the middle of it, he sees a strange odd chap coming with a lantern, searching. Searching? What for? Why, for wires, he thinks, of course. He hides in some brambles, but the old chap gets nigher and nigher, and presently, Styles, he sees, is about caught. So he ups on a sudden, and knocks the old chap over, and grabs the wires, and then he bolts. Old chap goes over, into a pit of a lump, and he falls, awkward. And, and well, there you are. And how long ha you known this? Knowed it? Knowed it all time. Same as others. And never said a word of it? Nor told the police? Why, no, Amos answered, with honest indignity. Wouldn't have us get the poor chap in trouble, would ye? And this was the mystery. Nothing of wonder at all. Nothing but a casual crossing of ways. Just a chance from the hatful, like all the rest of it. And Amos? Well, he was right too, by such lights as he could see. Light was low behind the hills, and dust dimmed the keepers on his face as he waved his friends goodbye. Yes, he would come to them in London, one of these days. Soon? Well then, soon. Together, the three went down the scented lanes, where the white ghost moths began to fly, and so into the world of new adventure. End of chapter 36 End of To London Town by Arthur Morrison